you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Elliott. Today, we have a special guest. This guy is in California, not in Southern California where we're at, but in the Sacramento area. Very excited to have this gentleman on. He He's a pharmacist by trade and a young guy, just got started in the real estate the last few years. But the type of breakthroughs that he's had in such a short time frame as well as his creative strategies to do some house hacking and student housing to get as many rooms filled up and be able to bring in some extra cash flow. He's right around $10,000 right now with with monthly income coming in. So it's very exciting. He's looking to pay off some of his properties within 10 year timeframe, which is awesome as well. And I think a lot of people are going to be able to learn a ton on this episode. So I definitely want to encourage you guys, make sure you're sharing this out there and sending this to somebody that's really interested in getting started into real estate or somebody that's already a veteran in the game, but wants to get creative and and really make a, a huge impact on the small amount of projects that they might have to just increase by renting out some extra rooms and so forth. But without further ado, Ryan, what's going on, brother? How you doing? How's it going? There's a sunny day in California today. I know. Finally, it's been raining. I don't know about up up where you're at, but it's been raining all last week and everything. It was crazy. Holding up my yeah, it's on and off rain up here too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you so much for being on. Something about your story really stood out to me as well. You're a pharmacist, which is very mm-hmm. cool because my sister-in-law, Vivian, you know, she checks this out. Shout out to you, Vivian. This is something that she's very interested in getting into real estate. Eventually, I, I know a lot of people <laughs> in in the same field are very interested, but you're a young guy, you're following your path with the pharmacist, but obviously you wanted to jump into real estate to get some extra income, correct? Yeah, exactly. You know, I loved my job as a pharmacist, but you know, I didn't want to be working for someone else until I'm 65 years old. I didn't want to be working hard for money. I wanted to eventually separate the time I put in from the money I, you know, get out of it. I wanted to be able to do what I want, where I want, what, you know, with whomever I wanted to do it with eventually and live life on my own terms. So that's what really pushed me into real estate to have more of that time freedom, you know, what people say financial freedom. Okay, nice. I love that. So why being a pharmacist instead of just a full-time real estate investor? Yeah, that's a great question. So I always wanted to be in a service-based business where I'm helping others and giving back to the community. And, you know, pharmacy just seemed right up my path. But then I always had this in the back of my head that real estate is probably the best way. I mean, pharmacists is good to get a good income, but real estate is the way to really create generational wealth. And I learned this from my grandpa. He actually owned three properties. He bought three properties in the Bay Area back in 1950s. And, you know, we know back then, of course, it was a lot cheaper. But uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, really appreciated and value. Um, He had like six flats in San Francisco, right? And he was able to sell it for eventually a couple million dollars. 
And from that rental income and, you know, just uh, appreciation on the properties, he was able to pay for all of his expenses until a ripe old age of 93 and a half. And so that really inspired me like, wow, this is a a true way to generate wealth. You know, it's your boss's job to pay you a paycheck, but it's your job to create wealth for yourself, lasting wealth. I love that. So where are you located right now? I'm in Sacramento, California. Okay. But my investments are in Stockton, which is about an hour away or so. Yeah. So you, so you live in, in one area, but you actually invest about an hour or so away. That's right. Yep. So why, why the different area instead of your backyard, your neighborhood? Great question, Brandon. So the main reason is the cash flow. So the, you know, I have like five steps that we, we can go over for how I create a profitable real estate investment. But the first step is knowing your numbers. Yeah. So you got to make sure the cash flow makes sense. In Sacramento, the average price of a house is around 500000 400000 500000 And so to get cash flow on that, you have to be making a good... $4,000 to $5,000 per month, and, or at least to get a good amount of cash flow. Yeah. But if I were to invest in Stockton, which is an hour away, you only need $2,500 to $3,000 per month in cash flow and um, rental income to make a pretty good cash flow stream. So that's a lot easier for me to do. And so I was able to do that, and it made a lot more sense to just go you know, to Stockton, set up the system. It takes maybe a month or two to set up. And then once it's set up, I can basically just chill in Sacramento and, you know, have the rental income coming in. And I don't have to go down to Stockton and do repairs and all that. I have other people for that, right? Yeah, that's what it's all about. Most of our portfolio is about 2,500 or or 3,000 miles away in Ohio. And everybody always like, can't wrap their head around that. Well, how, how do you do that? You know, yeah. how are you checking up on your, or how are you doing maintenance on the property? It's like, I'm not doing those things. And because if you really want to scale, you do need to leverage that stuff out. So it's awesome that you've kind of found that and you're moving into that direction. So before we jump into the full five breakdown, because I know that you have some awesome steps that break down, you know, five from beginning to end, how you can actually set yourself up for success, just like you have. But, mm-hmm. you know, how old are you right now? I'm 27. And how old were you when you first got that first property? Uh, I was 23 at the time. 23. Love it. Okay. Now, yeah. when you got that first property, uh, what, what was the time frame like? Like when the light went off in your head, like, okay, I'm going to get a real estate property. I'm going to get an investment. What did, what did that look like for you? And like, what's going through your head? And how long did it take you until you finally got that property? I guess what was going through my head during college time, I actually saw one of my friends do this. He house hacked. He basically lived in the house for free and rented out to other of his uh, college buddies, right? And so he was able to generate equity on that house. I was like, hey, I could totally do this, right? In fact, I could do this and try to expand on it. So what I would do is I would actually create extra bedrooms. I would put up some drywall, right? I would make an extra living room or family room and turn that into a bedroom because students really don't need all that extra space that like a family would need, right? So they just need a place to sleep and study, right? Basically. So especially in that area, I've noticed anytime when I visit, those houses are really set up for like, like families, like big families. There's a lot of space. Exactly. You know, I'm sure that's not every neighborhood, but a lot of, yeah. And then, you know, part of it is just repurposing that extra space, right? Sure. 
And so, so yeah, that's yeah. what you did with the properties when you first got them. But what was that time frame like? Like when the light went off in your head, like I'm gonna get a deal. And then when you actually closed on your first deal, was it a couple months, you know, a couple days? I would say, yeah, after I graduated, I wanted to get started as soon as possible. So back in 2015 was when I graduated. Cool. I had the pharmacy degree and I just worked a lot of overtime. I had some mutual funds saved up for, from my jobs in high school. Okay. So I was able to put a down payment, a sizable down payment on the first house. I think I did a 10 year mortgage on that. And you know, your mortgage. I, yeah. So why did, yeah. mortgage instead of like a 30 year typical? And <laughs> yeah, get, that's a great, I really wanted to pay it off. Honestly, I had this idea that I would pay it off and then I'll have all that money in cash flow. But I actually made a lot of mistakes on my first house. I, I did lose quite a bit of money and you know, I did kind of struggle with that. You know, I was a little bit depressed, like, okay, this is not working for me right now. What's going on. Right. But that's part of the process, right? So the first mistake I made was not doing a sewage line inspection. And you could do this during the escrow phase of the house, and it only costs a couple hundred dollars. But what happened is I got a call from one of my tenants. He was like, dude, Ryan, um, we got an emergency. There's sewage coming out of, backing out of this kitchen sink, and now it's all over the kitchen floor. Uh, and so I was like, oh, shoot. Yeah. This was at like 11 p.m. at night. I was like, Oh man, what do I do? Yeah. Uh, so I, I had to call like five different plumbers, you know, no one was picking up until I finally found someone to come over who was willing to come over at like midnight to sanitize everything because first you have to sanitize it. I also had to put in eventually a sump pump to, you know, pump uh, out some water out. And then I had to eventually, so what we did is we stuck a snake down the pipe, the sewage pipe, which is a camera basically. Yeah. And then I don't want to get too technical, but basically it found some breaks in the sewage piping and we found we had to replace the whole pipe and that cost $6,000. Wow. So yeah, lesson learned. Yeah. Right? Good <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, some simple things you could do, like just doing the sewage line inspection during that escrow phase would have saved me a ton of money. Yeah. Um, like a couple hundred bucks, right? Instead of. Yeah, exactly. A or 6,000 in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, in the middle of the night too. But oh, it costs even more because, you know, the sanitation costs, you know, several hundred. And the sun pump, another couple thousand. So, yeah. Good times, yeah, right? those, that, that was my lesson learned. Uh, it was a 100-year-old house too. So, okay. after that, I realized maybe I should be looking for newer houses. So, yeah, did, did you regret <laughs> that old-style house or... You know, so you that's the thing. Um, the due diligence know, a little bit more. Make sure that you get all the inspections, right? <laughs> exactly. So it was a learning experience. But I was also a little bit lucky that the house appreciated in price. And I bought it back in, I think, 2015 or early 2016. And so it actually appreciated $60,000. So all the money that I did lose, which was eventually calculated to over, I would say, $30,000, I was able to make all that up in appreciation on the property. So that really comes down to understanding your location. You know, some people would say it's luck and, you know, maybe in your situation, it was a little bit of both, but it's, it's really <laughs> identifying yeah. and investing in the right location in the right area that will appreciate, you know, because yeah. you're either going to get a, a ton of cash flow in certain areas like Ohio, ton of cash flow, very little appreciation. And then in your area, usually it's mm -hmm. low cash flow, but high appreciation, 
but you yeah. got creative and you stepped outside the box to make sure that you could fill every little square inch of the place, bring in more <laughs> cash flow, and you're taking a, advantage of the appreciation, which is awesome. You're double, double dipping, which is cool. Exactly. Yeah. And I actually looked up the prices on how much I could get on rentometer.com, which by the way, it's guys, it's a really good site to estimate your rent. Sure. And it said I would get around 1500 for all these houses, but I'm actually getting, if I have a four bedroom house, I'll get around 2,700. And if I have a five bedroom, I'm able to get 3,100. So I do have houses that the market rent was supposed to be around 1500 and I'm able to get 3100 because I made it into a five bedroom house. Yeah, I mean you're doubling it. So that's that's huge. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's so what crazy. is what is your mortgage on on these properties just roughly? The mortgage amount I so I most of the properties the first one I bought was 262,000. After that they're around 300,000. Mm-hmm. I put 20% down, right? Okay. So I think the mortgages are around maybe 20 250,000 now. Or, or less. Well, yeah. like monthly, monthly wise. Oh, the monthly payment. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So they're 15 year mortgages. Yeah. Yeah. So my first one was 1900 a month. Yeah. And then the second one was 2100 or 2200. Okay. A month. Gotcha. So yeah, you have that ex- even though it's only a 15 year mortgage, you still have that, you know, 300, 400 or a thousand. If you can, you know, get it to 3100 and extra cash flow on top yeah. of it. Yeah. I just want to give a, a quick tip for any of the listeners out there as well. When Because you mentioned Renometer is awesome to be able to get a good indication, a good pulse yes. on how much you can make. It is a great location. There's other ways as well that I've liked to do in the past by calling up other property management companies in the area and just asking them, you know, what is the average rent that you guys are seeing with your rentals for this type of bedroom and bath in these locations? And they'll typically be able to give you uh, a quick number, a, a quick, like good pulse on it by calling just a few of them. And, and that's another great method. That's a really good point, Brandon. Yeah. So uh, just talking with the people around the area and asking them what the, you know, market rent is. Yeah. 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 Networking is awesome. That's so insight. With your properties, any other mistakes that you saw that really, you know, you were like, all right, never doing this again, right? I'm going <laughs> to learn from my mistakes. I'm not going to do this again. Something that could help the listeners. Yeah. So the first property, another lesson I learned was trying to do something called preventative maintenance. So there's a couple of ways you can do this. And one is making sure there's not too many trees that overhang the house because the trees, the pest can actually climb the trees go across the branches and then hop onto your roof and get into your house on the roof. So I actually had rat and squirrel issues at the house. Wow. And just by trimming the branches, I was able to basically stop the whole problem. Right. Wow. I also boarded up some holes on the outside of the house and that of course helped out as well. But the main thing was trimming the branches or trying to get rid of trees where I could. The other thing about trees is they can also dig roots into your pipes, your sewage pipes. Yep. Right. And so that was one of the major problems I had. Another thing I learned was to pour, uh, there's something called, like I've used a lot of products and I swear by this one, it's called the Green Gobbler. And what you do is you pour it down your drains, like this kitchen sink, your shower drain, and that prevents a lot of clogs from occurring. So you don't get calls from your tenants and you have to call up a plumber and pay him a couple hundred dollars to fix the clog, right? Yeah. Yeah. So those are some great lessons I learned as well. Replacing grass with mulch, which is like bark. 
that saves a ton of money on the water bill, right? Yeah. And just maintenance on, you know, cutting grass and so forth will, will help out a lot. So that's awesome. Yeah. All now, of that. Have you found yourself like a handyman that can get the work done properly and good communication, but better on prices with you yet? Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, so the thing is to shop around, try to come up with like three or four contractors and then just see what they did. If you have a big major project, ask them for a bid, right? Ask them to basically tell you the price that they would charge to get the work done. And then you can kind of compare prices and then afterwards, you can kind of inspect the quality of the work or have someone else look at the quality of the work, right? Yeah. Make sure that you are doing like apples to apples comparison. Like in the beginning, I've made this mistake dozens of times by literally going in with several contractors and they're giving me bids on certain things that the other contractor didn't. And I'm like, oh man, so you really got to do apples to apples comparison. Oh, yes. Make sure you do your walkthrough first, check off everything that you want you know, handled and addressed, fixed, and then make sure that they're looking at the same list. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Get a yeah. crazy. Okay, cool. So I do want to get into the five steps. First, one more question. When it comes down to your mortgages, are all of them at 15? I know you mentioned you had one at 10. Is that correct? The first one's at 10. Yeah. The other three are at 15. And, and I, really, the whole goal with that is just to pay them off as soon as possible. In 10, 15 years, your mortgage is going to be fully done which is awesome. And you're so young that it's really going to set you up for tremendous power and success, especially with the appreciation keep going. So, I mean, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'm surprised how far, honestly, I'm surprised how fast it's grown. Actually, I'll, even on the first house, I bought it for 262,000 because it appreciated to around 320 something thousand. I was able to take out some cash or equity from that house to put it on the fourth house. Yeah. So I was able to buy the fourth house a lot sooner than I would have otherwise been able to. I love right, that. That 60000 is now a down payment on another house. So I was able to leverage that money and you know buy a property sooner to get that cash flow a lot sooner. So you did a, a HELOC, home equity? A HELOC, line? yeah, home equity line of credit. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Uh -huh. okay, awesome. Okay, so we covered <laughs> mistakes, which is awesome. So the listeners you know, won't make those mistakes and can learn from ours, which is awesome. Gave some tips in there and uh, kind of got the breakdown of your process so far. And your strategy is basically to purchase these properties, get them on short mortgages, 10, 15 years, and so the monthly payment will be higher than what the normal rent would even be in the area, but you get creative to make sure that you can fill every square inch of the property and low expenses, low monthly expenses. And then it really just sets you up for getting that additional cash flow and paying off your property a lot faster. Yes, exactly. Okay. And I think one key here is you do have to check with your local city laws and call up the City of Planning and Development Commission and then yeah. ask them, you know, is this okay? You know, can I do this? Can I have multiple students stay at one house? Most of the times, actually in most states I found um, for my students, because I, I do coach students, they found that it is still allowed because, you know, a lot of co colleges have off-campus housing. So yeah. it's kind of like a de facto thing anyways. If the city weren't to allow it, then, you know, it would, it would be tough for students to find how off-campus housing. 
I'm so glad you brought that up because it is such a key factor in my area of Ohio that I invest in. One of the key factors that kind of let me know, and it was like lights going off in my head, was I found out just when I was looking over there that the famous Catholic university, very close by, they were growing so fast, they didn't have any room for a, a lot of the students. So the juniors and seniors had to actually get off campus housing. Yes. They're like building up all theirs. And that was a huge indication for me. But I found out later on that the city, they had mm-hmm. some law that, you know, you couldn't live with other people that like weren't your siblings or something. And there's, oh, there's a certain, yeah. there's a certain limit of how limit, many, yeah. Yeah. Of how many people could live in the same household that weren't siblings. So, right. Uh, yeah, it's very crucial to know those laws. Luckily, they're not like enforcing it really. And I only have one housing that kind of is very close to that border. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, it, it definitely is a little bit of gray area in some cases because, you know, people are doing it and, it, you know, it's kind of necessary because they can't say, you know, everyone has to move out now because they do need off-campus housing. And it is a huge market because you are providing something at half the price of the university. So you're providing affordable rent to college students. Uh, You know, we're charging maybe 500 to $700 per month for the room, right? And they get a lot more privacy. They get more room in general than the college dormitories. And they don't have to pay for a meal plan. And so, you know, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of them, especially, you know, like you said, juniors, seniors, and, you know, professional students. Yeah, the only thing is like with the city, they just don't want any parties and craziness. So as long as your tenants that are staying there, these students, as long as you screen them out properly and they're not like causing a bunch of chaos or having, you know, parties, then typically you're good. And so just keep these things in mind, but know your laws, which is which is very crucial. Oh, one other thing, when it comes down to your mortgages, when you were purchasing these properties, Mm-hmm. What type of money did you save up to be able to put down for the down payment? How did you get your financing structured for some of these deals? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so we mentioned the HELOC on the fourth one, but for the most part, I've been doing conventional mortgages. Mm-hmm. I would actually call up several lenders and that's, that's kind of like the idea of having several contractors, right? Yep. You can compare apples to apples. So you take a, a specific interest rate, like 3.25%, and you ask them what are the closing costs off of a 3.25% interest rate. So that's the key factor. So many people are obsessed out there. I see this dozens upon dozens of times over and over because we're we're a broker with a a hard money company as well for Vizio Lending. But when it comes down to traditional (coughs) or any type of mortgages, a lot of people are calling in and and they want to know what the interest rates are. Well, the interest rates fluctuate about a dozen times per day. So Nowadays, actually, yeah, yeah. Before, <laughs> once you lock in a deal, like lock in a uh, interest rate, that's what your interest rate is for the next 90 days until you close on that deal. But when it comes down to the questions you want to be asking, it's all about the origination fees. You know, what are the closing costs looking like? You know, because the interest rates, like Bank of America, for example, they guarantee they'll get the best of the best rates. They'll, they'll beat anybody by interest rates and they will by like a point or so, like the very little, <laughs> but their origination fees are out of the roof, like six grand, you know, yeah. oh, instead of like a thousand or 1500. So just yeah. be aware of that stuff. You know, it's very, very crucial, but I love that. So the first one, you saved up some money 
How much was it roughly? The first one, I actually put a sizable down payment on it. I believe it was like 80000 or so because my idea was to pay it off as soon as I could. But I did save up. I did work a lot of overtime and then I did save up from the mutual funds. And the economy was, you know, pretty good at the time. So um, I actually saved up quite a bit through that. I think it was 11% return or so. I love it. Yeah, so I was doing well. So anybody that's listening that automatically like tunes themselves out once they hear that or tries canceling themselves out saying that they, you know, 80,000 bucks, they can't do it themselves. If you're brand new, just getting started with our credit coaching and teaching, it's so possible. You can easily within one day, if you're 18 years old, I can show you how to be able to get a hundred K or more in credit within just a, a few days. So don't cancel yourself out on that. You can utilize credit to be able to get in here, 0% interest, and then set yourself up to be able to get a down payment like this. And there's other ways. You didn't need to fully put that much up. You could have probably got a little bit Yeah, left. I could have leveraged it further. Yeah, definitely. Of course. But there you I, go. Yeah. There's plenty of ways out there. Yeah. I love your strategy though, by putting a, a sizable down payment, like a you know safe bet down and then shorting your your overall uh, time frame, 10, 15 years. That's huge. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. I think the main thing is having that cash flow. So if you're positive in cash flow, you don't have to worry if the market takes a huge dive, right? Because you're still making the cash flow every month. And so it doesn't matter. Your property will eventually go back up to its original price and further. So you can just wait out the market. You don't have to worry if your price of the house drops in half even. Well, that and also, I mean, it's going to be paid off in 10, 15 years, which is yeah. most people are like just at that halfway point and it's all been interest till that point. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to knock out a majority of your interest within the first five to seven years. And then after that, you're just, that's an argument for Yeah. All, all the principal, which is, I mean, that's huge. So I love the, uh, the mindset behind that and the strategy. So let's talk about your five steps of how you've done it. And how you see, you know, if other people out there, listeners, beginning, never have done real estate before, how they could potentially do the same exact thing. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so the first step is... Just make sure you guys are writing, like if you guys can't see this, make sure you're taking a ridiculous amount of notes. You definitely want to right now. This is the gold nuggets when when it starts getting dropped. (laughs) All right, dive into it, brother. Yeah, drop some gold nuggets. (laughs) All right, so... No uh, yeah, step one. <laughs> step one is know your numbers. Yeah. So you have to examine the area around you. You know, I usually go a one hour driving distance. So for me, you know, I invested in Sacramento. Stockton was an hour away. The cash flow makes a lot more sense there. So you have to figure out what your rental income would likely be. And you could do this by rental meter. You can use Craigslist, right, to figure out how much people are typically charging per bedroom. And then basically you just take the price per bedroom and you multiply it by how many bedrooms you think you could create. You yeah. can create five bedrooms, that's around 3,100, four bedrooms, 2,600, right? Then you have to figure out your expenses. So your PITI, principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. You have to figure out kind of your estimate, your management costs. You have to be able to estimate your repair and maintenance costs and vacancy costs, and then the capital expenditures. And then mm-hmm. basically you take your estimated rental income, subtract out your expenses, and that's your cash flow. Nice. And if you're in positive cash flow, you're doing well because you can hold that property for life, basically. Yeah. So doing your due diligence on the property, really, you know, going in to examine the property and figure out, you know, 
what kind of costs will potentially come up during escrow phase. Sure. That's key. I love that. And so that's, yeah, that's step one. Okay. Step two is negotiating the deal and understanding seller motivation. Every seller has a different motivation for selling, right? So some, like a family trying to sell their house in order to buy a house in another state, they have a different motivation than someone who just passed away and it's an estate sale, right? So the person who's trying to buy a house in another state, you probably want to extend their escrow period. That's a huge plus for them because you can use that as kind of like a negotiating point at the point of sale. Because if you have only a 30-day escrow, there's a chance that they can't find a house in time. And so they go homeless for a few days. Yeah. You don't want that, right? So you structure the deal so you have that longer escrow period and that's to their advantage. And then you just ask for something in return, right? Yeah. So yeah, a, a lot of it's negotiating the deal. I, I think with negotiating, if you say to yourself, <laughs> you know, you're not the strongest negotiator or whatever it may be, you really got to change that mindset. I, I find a lot of people that they're like, I hate sales. I hate negotiating. And Usually people that say that, they find themselves on the wrong side of the negotiating and, yeah. and just feel taken advantage of, which you never want to walk away in any type of negotiating like that. Like you always want to feel a little taken away, but also a win as well on both sides. You know, that's a good deal. So read up on some books, watch some YouTube videos. We, we actually have done a course in the past on negotiating. So reach out if you want that kind of content. It's super, super crucial and helps in all areas of life. Am I right? Yeah, no kidding. I had to negotiate my girlfriend going on the first date with me. Exactly. <laughs> my man, I love that. It's, it it's is. Everywhere. It's everywhere, yeah. Real negotiating. You won that. You're a strong man. I like that. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, so negotiating the deal, part of it's just working with them, right? So if yep. you do that sewage line inspection during the escrow phase and you find that there are breaks and cracks in the pipe, you go like, okay, so what are we going to do about this? You know, yeah. are you guys going to help do some of the repairs for that? Right. Or maybe they'll be willing to cut a check at closing so you can hire someone to make the sewage repairs. But of course, you know, they do have to be made obviously before they sell the house. Yeah. But you just want to, you know, ask a bunch of good qualified questions, ask them, try to find the motivation, like you mentioned and, exactly. and listen, you know, listen and try to figure out, what do they truly want? And then see how you can get creative to be able to get a win-win situation. A win-win situation. Exactly. That's right. That's the word I'm looking for. Cool. So step three is renovation and preventative maintenance. So we yeah. went over a couple of things, easy things you can do for preventative maintenance. Turn the grass into bark, right? Okay. Take out trees where you can. Turn the branches of the trees so you don't have leaves in your gutter or, or pests climbing up the branches. I actually did have to have someone go on the roof to clean up all the leaves and that costs a lot of money. So obviously we want to prevent that and then renovating. So I put up drywall where I can and turn an extra bedroom or sorry, living room or family room into an extra bedroom to increase the profit on the house. Sometimes I even have two tenants in one bedroom. And so they have a shared bedroom. They pay slightly cheaper rent, maybe like, 450 a piece, but it's, you know, 900 for that room at the end, right? For me. So what, what would that room normally rent out if you just put one person in there? Seven. Normally it would be around 620. 620. My yeah. average is around 620. Yeah. So instead drop it just a little bit, hundred bucks or so. And then, you know, you can put two people in there and good to go. 
Yeah, exactly. Drop it, like play around with it, drop it 20%, see what they say, yeah. or 10%, see what they say. Yeah, but like couples, especially, this is really great. You know, couples usually want to share a bedroom. So you just, yeah, you, you say, hey, I can offer you a cheaper price. You guys stay in this, the master or whatever. And then yeah. there you go. You have uh, increased rent that way. Yeah, I love that. Uh, That's so good. Yeah, so yeah, it, there's several ways you can increase your profit and reduce your expenses. Well, by reducing your expenses, you increase your profit naturally, right? Yeah, I, so, I like that. So, so the preventative maintenance, you know, yes. all the things that we mentioned to be able to lower your cost. I like to personally try to put liabilities more on the tenants as far as like the utilities, all the utilities, and then even lawn and maintenance outside. And then have like a, a checklist, you know, on a monthly basis or whatever of things that they need to keep up with <laughs> during certain seasons, right? Exactly. Like yeah, that. and that part of that is uh, something called tenant empowerment, right? Yeah. Um, so you basically, you've empowered a tenant, you give them a responsibility so they, you know, take charge and take responsibility for certain things. So if they have a problem with another tenant, you say, hey, you're an adult now, why don't you have a face-to-face discussion with them, right? And then come up with an action plan, right? And then, you know, implement that action plan and let's see how it goes, right? And then if you guys still have difficulties, then yes, I can step in and call them. But I don't want to start, you know, being the middleman, right? But part of it is I actually did try being the middleman and it just got worse because the other guy would say, Hey, this guy's talking behind my back. He's going to the landlord behind my back. And it, yeah. you know, now I got a bad reputation. So it, it just got worse from there. So the it, key is having them take responsibility, right? Yeah. It's awesome how you bring that up because I've been in the middle of so many things. Like as if you are a hands-on landlord or they have access to calling you, yeah. <laughs> you'll find yourself being a counselor like very quickly, like putting relationships <laughs> Exactly. Yes. That's <laughs> So it is crazy, the stuff that you'll find yourself into. And if you don't have the patience for that, you definitely are going to want to build on that or hire that stuff out, hire the property management out because you will find yourself being like a counselor. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I mean, just having preset things that you would do if something like that comes up to and having that system, like you said. Being being prepared. Yeah, that's so good. Exactly. And then for renovations in general, just finding like several contractors that you can count on. With contractors, I always find it, it's, it's usually three type of characteristics that they have. It's either great quality work, great timing, or, or the money is like the, what they charge is, is true. true. So you're never going to get all three. You'll you never can't, no. get all three. No, 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 definitely so not. Especially, I feel like timing goes out the door a lot of times. What is it? Uh, timing goes out the door a lot of times because you have to really make sure they finish their work within that time frame because they do usually have other projects that they're doing. And a lot of times yours might end up on the back burner if you don't get on, you know, keep making sure calling them up and saying, Hey, you know, how far is the project going? Can you give me some updates? Right? Yeah. A lot of babysitting and also, you know, making, <laughs> making sure that your scope of work your so is on point and there's penalties exactly. in there if they take longer, but also make sure that you put rewards in there. If they get done early because yes. you, you want to, you don't always want to have like a, a fearful mindset within contracts. You want to also put rewards in there as well so that you're playing even on the playing ground and you're giving them something to, 
to kind of look forward to to get things done. So if you're looking for more information on on how to guide and set up like negotiating with your contractors, getting your scope of work down, we've done podcast episodes in the past about that. So you guys can always you know search for that one. Don't know which episode that is right now, but you guys can always look around and check that out. Yeah. There's cool. a lot of great value in uh, Brandon's podcast. I can attest to that. Yeah, I appreciate um, it, brother. So, so yeah, and then I guess the fourth step would be to have a system for marketing and consistently finding high-quality tenants and screening okay. them as well. Yeah. Right? So for me, my tenant pool, I focus on targeted marketing towards like third or fourth-year college students or professional students. Sure. So um, one way I would do this is go on to – like the pharmacy class of 2021 or so there's these Facebook groups for off-campus housing as well as a class group. And so what you do is you post your, your ad onto those groups and then basically you get a lot of people coming in, contacting you who are like professional students, like pharmacy, dental, medical students, right? And so those are the higher quality tenants. So are you just making your ad on like on Zillow and then sharing the link type of thing? Or are you getting somebody on Fiverr to make like a sexy looking little post? (laughs) There's something called copywriting, a technique called copywriting. And so I learned a little bit of how to copyright and sell to basically you emphasize the benefits of living at your place, right? For me, it's like it's five minute walk to campus. It's also like I provide all the amenities so they don't have to purchase their own bed. I have a, I list out all the amenities. They have a desk, they have a chair, they have a closet, you know, they have um, all the utensils and kitchenware provided. So not, you know, I don't buy expensive kitchenware or anything, but you know, I, I do provide pretty, you know, pretty good kitchenware, right? Good quality. So yeah, I provide all of that for them and I put it on the advertisement and then for a lot of people in their heads, they have like this checklist, right? And they're like, check, 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 check. Okay, let me contact this guy. He seems to meet all the check marks, right? Yeah. Basically think about who your target market is and how you can provide a good service for them and how you can, you know, provide benefit for them <laughs> when they stay at your house. Yeah, that's so good. I like that. Okay, cool. So you're really targeting that. Why that type of class, like closer to the end of their school? Yeah, so I think it has to do a lot with the maturity level. So sure. professional students, right? They're, they're focused on their studies. They want to, you know, pass, ace that midterm or that final, right? Yeah. Uh, versus like first or second year students, they're still trying to figure out what their major is sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah. So usually you get that mature level of student who wants to focus on studies and they're not going to tolerate another tenant who wants to throw a wild party or something like that. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. So they're a lot more serious, they spend a lot less time at the house, more time, you know, studying during class and, you know, they're focused. Are, are that's, you, that's the quality it, tenant I look for. Yeah. Is your ideal avatar, like your ideal tenant, somebody in the pharmacy scene as well? Yeah, it is. So the pharmacy school, I actually invest there. It's a three-year accelerated program. So they go through summer. So for them, it makes sense to get a year-round lease. Yeah. And I actually do year-round leases for all of my tenants, but yeah. it's especially helpful for the pharmacy tenants because they need the one-year lease. Yeah. And I always provide that option of subleasing during the summer. So that's one way you can kind of structure your lease and say it's a one year lease, but you can sublease during the summer to summer school students if you're not staying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I think that was kind of key in also creating the profit because if you do a nine month lease, 
then you, you have those three months, right? You're not making rent. So yeah. I said, because there's so much demand for my housing and it's a lot cheaper than on-campus housing and they're still make they're saving a lot of money, even though they're going a 12 month lease because yeah. they're paying half the price. Right. I'm able to just say, you know what, it's a one year minimum lease, but you can always sublease during, you know, periods you're not there. That's so good. I love that. Yeah. So that's the marketing. That's number four. And then number five is maintenance and automation. Yeah. 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 So once you own the property, you have all the tenants in, right? You want to be able to maintain it, but not have it become a second job for you, right? Because you went into real estate to leverage your time, right? You don't, you want to separate the time from the money. Yeah. And so your time back, right? (laughs) Time back. Exactly. The time freedom. So that's, you know, the whole point of passive income. And so you have to set up a system to automate the process. So things like repairs, you know, have a system for that. Usually what happens is a tenant will text me if a toilet's broken. Right. And then I forward that text to one of my three contractors and, you know, each contractor, of course, they're good at different things. So I'll forward it to the contractor who's good at fixing toilets. Yeah. And then he would let himself in the house with the electronic code on the door. Yep. And then he would fix the toilet. I'll have, you know, one of the tenants make sure it's, it's fixed and everything looks good. And then the contractor will let himself out. He will send me a bill and then I send him a check. Yeah. So I'll automate it. What I have to do, I forward the text, right? And then I write the check. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah, we, a lot less. we set up ours very similar and we write it in the lease so that there's no excuses that like this is what is to be done when, you know, any exactly. issues come up. So the tenants Absolutely. know that they need to send a picture of what the issue is and give a, a detailed description, a text message to me. And then afterwards, call me within the next five minutes to make sure that I received it. And then at that point, I will connect my contractor with that individual to make sure that they can schedule it and get in there. Once the work is done, then we'll have the tenant and then a third party, another like a handyman contractor guy as well, come in just to verify that the work is done properly. Right. And at that point, once the tenant approves on it and the other third party person, then we will pay over the phone with credit card typically and get an invoice with the main contractor that did the work. So everybody's yeah, there you go. go. Yeah. The best way to do it is have another contractor check it because they know what to look for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I do that. Yeah. When I have like two contractors working, I have them just check each other's work basically. Exactly. Yeah. So that's so good. I love that. So just setting up those systems and have it like, written down so the tenant knows exactly what to do, you know what to do, and it's very limited amount of stress on anybody, right? It's very easy. Yeah, exactly. That's so good. That's key, that's really key. Cool, so any other tips, or maybe even pain points that you might currently be going through that you're like, hey, in the future, this is what we're working on to make a little bit better? (laughs) Oh, that's, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, right now we're in this coronavirus pandemic, right? Who would think the two biggest things you would worry about is getting toilet paper and uh, finding someone to give you a haircut, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> let me know. If you need a cut, let me know. Yeah. So right now I'm actually still making rent, but you know, what if the school is closed for fall? That's a legitimate concern. Sure. Right now I'm not anticipating it would last until August. That's, you know, because most when you, you know, listen to a lot of the news out there, or I mean, I'm an infectious disease pharmacist. So, you know, when I kind of, 
you know, go through the bottles Your and stuff. Due yeah. Like, yeah, it should, I mean, I don't want to make a prediction, but it should be done by July or so at least Yeah. by then. So, but if, if they do close for whatever reason during August, I would have to retarget my tenants, right? Yes. So I always have kind of a backup plan. In this case, I would be looking for more like medical students or medical people. Yeah. personnel. So like doctors, nurses, physician assistants, lab techs, Yeah, they would all be great people to rent out a room to. Sure. And it would be a lot cheaper rent as well. I've actually already had, when I was marketing, I've had lab techs contact me. You would think, you know, physicians won't be needing to rent a room, Yeah. but new physicians, usually they're hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. So if you think about it, they make a lot, but their take-home pay is a lot less because they're paying, you know, a student loan that's like $3,500, $4,000 a month. Yeah. And so that takes a huge chunk out of what they can buy. You know, they can't buy a house with that amount of debt, right? Yeah. It's, it's very difficult. They don't have enough take-home pay for that. So a sure. lot of them are still renting out apartments or, you know, a room or part of, yeah, part of a room of a house. I love so, it. Yeah. I think, you know, trying to target to those maybe first responders that are traveling nurses potentially or, or somebody just to get that stable exactly. that, um, that it would be the perfect fit for. That's the, the ideal target audience that, that would be perfect for you. Definitely. And all those people still have jobs right now, right? So yes. you're not going to have to worry about them paying you, right? right, or unpaid rent because, you know, we need our medical professional to yeah. combat this pandemic. Yeah, that's so good. Well, Ryan, dude, that is, I mean, so much gold nuggets right there. We got the five lists. We went through beginning to end, how you financed everything, some learning curves along the way and preventative maintenance, everything. I really love what you've done in your career so far and you're so young, just crushing it. So it's very exciting to see where the next, you know, five years actually turns into. What kind of goals do you have moving forward? Yeah, honestly, you know, uh, one thing that I realized getting into real estate is it's a service-based business. So yeah. if you take care of your tenants, they'll take care of you back, yes. right? So I'm all about providing service. And one way I'm also giving back is I'm teaching students my method, my system, so they can shortcut their whole path and they don't have to make the, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of mistakes that I made. Yes. So I'm, I'm hoping to save a lot of people money out there, honestly. So I have this one-on-one -on -one coaching program that I do. You can contact me if you're interested in that at www.newbierealestateinvesting.com. That's www.newbierealestateinvesting.com. And newbie is spelled N-E-W-B-I-E. -E. Okay. And then I have a newsletter as well. So you can sign up for that once you get on the homepage, put your name in, and then there will be a link to schedule a call with me if you wanted to. Yeah, that's so cool. So everybody listening to this, you definitely want to take advantage of that. Just connect with this man. He's doing some incredible stuff, really thinks outside the box and gets creative. And I think that's like what we all need to be able to really succeed and make certain areas work for real estate investing. So there's no limitations on this guy and I don't want there to be any on you as well. So ton of education from this man, definitely reach out to him, set up that call, get the weekly newsletter, which is awesome and get to network with this guy. I think that would be an awesome, awesome move. Any other way that people can get a hold of you besides those different? Yeah, I have a Facebook group as well. Newbie real estate investing. Cool. You can add me on Facebook if you want. My name's Ryan Chaw, C-H-A-W. Yeah. But yeah, the website is the main source, www.newbierealestateinvesting.com. 
Love it. Love it. Ryan, so you just gave an hour of your time to everybody. What can the listeners as well as myself do to give back to you? Just get started, right? Like take action, start looking at deals, start analyzing deals, get in contact with me and, you know, I'll see if we can work together and help you out. Yeah, just take action, guys. Take action. <laughs> take action. Oh. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's what it's all about, right? This podcast in general and a lot of people that we have on here all have the same hearts in the right places to really just get you started. You know, what it's done for us and changed our lives financially as well as the time freedom, getting that stuff back, not working like our restaurant jobs in the past or dead beat-in jobs that we're not happy with, or even like a pharmacist with good income, but still not necessarily like fulfilled there, you know, you might find yourself in those situations. So the podcast in general, it's all geared towards educating people, motivating them and preparing them to take action. So make sure you do that. The first five people that take action on subscribing to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, I want to give you guys my book, Action Driven, I'll give it to you absolutely free. I'll send that out to you. Just hit that subscribe button and leave a review and then send a screenshot to me on anywhere on social media. You can find me at Instagram. It's Brandon Elliott Investments. Otherwise, Facebook.com slash Brandon Elliott Investor or Facebook.com slash Brandon Elliott REI. Also, Brandon Elliott Investments.com. You can, you can reach out. I appreciate you guys all so much for tuning in. Ryan, you are the man. You're, you're really doing some awesome stuff. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm super thankful that you got the opportunity to jump on here and just build a friendship with you and make sure that we get, you know, see some awesome success in the near future from you. Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate you taking the time out as well to interview me. Of course, brother. I appreciate you guys. All right. Till next time, make sure that you guys hit that subscribe button, tag somebody in that needs to see this, share it out there and leave a review. Let me know what you guys think and reach out to me. I'd love to connect with each and every one of you guys and send you this book absolutely free. Till next time, guys. Stay blessed. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.